Uh, good morning, everyone. Good to, good to be here together. Well done for getting here an hour earlier. Um, and uh, we're going to dive straight into Ephesians chapter 4, which is what I've been preaching on uh, for quite some time now. Last week, we were looking at the different gifts of people that Jesus gives to the church. Um, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, who are given to us to help mend people and get them ready for works of service. That's us. Get us ready for works of service. Some of us need mending, um, but that's what these gifts help to do. We're going to follow on from that this week, and we're going to look at what the result of that is in the church. Uh, we'll see how we become mature, and again, hopefully get a vision of God's glorious church. So uh, let's dive right in and read Ephesians chapter 4. The words will appear here. I'm reading from the NIV. You can follow in your Bible or on your phone if you want. I'm going to read verses 11 through 16 of chapter 4. So Christ gave him, sorry, I'll start again. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. All right, so much in that passage. We're going to see how much we can cover uh, in the next little while. So Paul is saying that our goal and Christ's goal in giving all of these different people to the church, these different gifts of people, is to help us to reach unity in the faith and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Paul's talking about us being united together as Christ's body. He's talking about the whole body, the whole church, growing and building itself up in love, working together. What a wonderful view of the church. What a great vision. You might think that's quite a long way from what I have experienced about church. You might think it's quite a long way from where we are at as a church right now. Well, that may be, but that is the vision that Paul is holding before us. It's Christ's vision for the church, and it's the vision that we're to have if we are to be mature in him. People have often asked me, what is the vision for Christ Central Church? What is the vision for this church? And personally, um, I'm not one for snappy phrases. I'm not very good at coming up with things. You know, you can guess that I didn't come up with neighbors, networks, and nations. You can guess which of us came up with that. I'm going to leave that for you to figure out if you have been with us for any length of time. Personally, I, I'm not very good at doing that, although uh, I am aware it's, it's helpful for a number of people. But if we're to talk about the vision of the church, I would say these verses are central to it. The vision of the church being united together in Christ, reaching maturity together, loving one another, growing together, building one another up in love as we do the work that Christ has given us to do, 
each one of us, and then that will naturally flow out from within here. It doesn't just stay in the building. It doesn't just stay here. It flows out to the world. It flows out to those that we encounter. That's the vision of the church. It's surely who we want to become. And Paul is talking about reaching unity in the faith, but he's, he's not just saying we've all got to agree on this list of doctrines. That's not what Paul's saying. He's not just saying just, just be in agreement about these doctrines. I mean, it's, that's a good thing to do, but it, it's good to know what we believe. It's good to be agreed on it, but a lot of people can spend time arguing and talking about doctrine and theology, but that's got to work itself out in us. It's got to work itself out in our lives every single day. Paul's not just talking about kind of theoretical up there things that we hear on a Sunday and then live out completely different the rest of the week. What we see in Scripture is to be who God has made us, to give ourselves to that and to live it out day by day. Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, but I'm the life. He's the truth, and we apply that truth and work out the truth in our lives day by day. And to do that, Paul's saying, we need each other. We need people to help us. We need people to speak into our lives. We need people to help us figure it out so that we can become disciples, so that we can become people who are being taught to not just what to believe, but to live out what we believe. It's not just about a list of things that we believe. It's not just about how we might look on the outside. If it's just about how we look on the outside, if it's just about how we present ourselves, then we are like, I would say, Ikea Christians. Ikea Christians. Now, I'm aware that in getting into some of this, I'm going to upset a few people because some people really love Ikea furniture. In fact, I was talking with Erin at the back there and she said, I told you I loved Ikea this week. And, you're, and I said, well, I know, I know. Who loves Ikea here? Who, who's a big fan of Ikea? It's a little bit far from here. There's a few Ikea fans. I'm, I'm quite comforted. Maybe it's you don't know anything about it. That's it's good. Keep it that way. Um, <laughs> I dislike Ikea for a number of reasons. I have done for many years. Um, I usually have bad experiences when I go there. I often come away with a headache. One of the things that I dislike about Ikea and there are many, is that the furniture might look great, but it isn't really. It looks, there's a picture there, it looks like proper wood, but if you cut into it, you will discover it's fake. It's fake wood. It's particle board. It's particle board. That's made up of sawdust, chippings. It's kind of all heated up. It's mixed with glue, and then it's coated with this kind of wooden veneer. So it looks great but it doesn't tend to last very well, and it can split, and it can break, and if you move it, we actually had some of our, we actually had some of our IKEA furniture melt once. <laughs> we'll tell you the story later. It's kind of reasonably priced, but you know, IKEA knows it's gonna be popular, it looks good. Looks good on the outside, not so good on the inside. We don't want to be IKEA Christians, because it's not about what we look like on the outside. It's, like, it's not about looking good on the outside and having all sorts of garbage on the inside, you know, stuck together. It's easy to become Christianized 
if we stick around churches for long enough. We learn what to say. We, we do all the courses. We do the Alpha course. We do whatever course. We figure out how to fit in. We figure out how to be here on a Sunday morning. But inside, it might not be real. Paul isn't talking about that. He's talking about our lives changing. If you cut into Ikea furniture, if you scratch it, you see what's really on the inside. And Ikea Christians, you find out what's on the inside when things get difficult. When you scratch them, when you cut them, when there's hurt, what comes out? What, what, what's revealed? Is it a temper? Is it swearing? Is it um, all sorts of things? Paul's talking about a real deep change on the inside. We can, we can take the furniture away, I think. Paul's talking about seeing a real deep change on the inside of us. Now, we're all works in progress. There's no judgment. This isn't here. I'm not saying this to make any of us feel guilty, but, but it's the vision that God's got before us, that Paul's setting before us. What is our life going to look like? Not superficial. We don't want to be superficial people. We want to be a genuine people of God. Cut into us, and you see Jesus all the way through. That's who God's called us to be. That's who God's making us to be as we grow together, as we come mature. And so we need to know that it's not just faith in doctrine, it's faith in Jesus, a beautiful Savior who we've been singing about and worshiping this morning, the one who is at the center of heaven's worship, who all the elders and the angels bow down before and worship him. That's who we're worshiping. That's who we're coming into maturity in. We want to press on into him. We want to know him more. We want to be filled with his spirit consistently. We want to love others as he loved us. We want to grow to be more like him. That's where we will find unity in him. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection, to participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And he says, not that I've already obtained this, I'm not there yet, I've not reached my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Paul knows he's not there yet, but he said, come on, come on, church, we're pressing on. It's such a strong motivator for him. He says, everything, everything else is garbage. I'm leaving it all behind. And that's to be our goal as well, to relate with him, to have our hearts moved by him. It's not about activities. It's not about keeping ourselves busy with church stuff, church meetings, prayer times, reading the Bible, going to life groups. They're all great things. They really are great things, but they're a means to an end. They're not the end. The end is that we should know Jesus. Otherwise, it's just pretense. Otherwise, it's just Ikea Christianity. The goal is that we become mature. The NIV, and, and grow together in Christ. The NIV kind of has obscured what verse 13 says. Uh, verse 13, it says, uh, and, until we all reach unity and become mature. Um, what the verse actually says is coming to a mature man or mature manhood. And the, I think the NIV has taken that word man or manhood out of the passage because they're like saying, well, it's not just, you know, maybe it's not man, it's man and woman. Actually, the point Paul's making is we are the body of Christ. The man, the mature manhood that he's talking about is growing together in Christ. 
Christ is our head. We are the body of Christ. That's the mature manhood that we're coming into. That's what actually Trevor um, said in his, um, in his interpretation of Nancy's tongue. He talked about growing into him who is the head. I said to Trevor, I said, I'm preaching on that this morning. Growing into him who is the head, the body of Christ. We can't be a mature Christian on our own. It's just not possible. The Bible says we come to maturity together. Maturity always comes in relationship with other people. It's in the church that learning and discipleship happens. And Paul is setting out the way that it happens. He says, Christ has given these gifts, apostles, prophets, uh, evangelists, pastors, teachers, to prepare, to mend us, to equip us, so that we will no longer be infants. I wonder what you want to be when you grow up. What do you want to be when you grow up, when we become mature? That's what Paul is holding out before us. Paul says, I've not attained it yet, neither have we, but we press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of us. No longer immature, no longer like little children, little children who might be squabbling or sulking or manipulating. That's often what little children are like. They don't stay like that, hopefully. They become mature. So we won't be into individualism. We won't be into just trying to figure out what we want, getting our own way. That's what young children want. They just want their own way. They only really think about themselves when they're young. They don't like sharing their toys. We have to teach them to share. We have to teach them to be kind to others. We have to think about, teach them to think about others, to, to, to think about what effects their actions might have on others. And that's how we grow in maturity as a church as well. Often churches remain in immaturity when everyone just does their own thing, when everyone's got their own agenda. They've got a particular interest. They've got a particular thing that they want to happen, and that's how it's going to be. And they feel church should be structured around meeting every need that they might have. Paul's saying, we're not getting into that. We're not getting into that. We're becoming mature. We're considering each other. We're preferring each other's needs. Also, when we're mature, we don't get tossed back and forth by the waves because that just makes us unstable. Have you ever been in a boat when there's a huge storm? Anyone been in a boat with a huge storm? I know the person at the back <laughs> certainly has uh, because I've heard her talk about it. I've been in a boat where there's been quite a big storm, not a huge storm, and it was pretty bad. And it, it, was, it was on my way from England to France, or to Germany actually, my way from England to Germany, and it was bad enough. There were people vomiting everywhere. It was pretty disgusting. I don't want to show them. <laughs> but I've spoken to others who have been on the ferry to Newfoundland, and they said, I thought I would die. They literally thought they were going to die. Said it was so bad. The wind's blowing. The waves are throwing them all over the place. I'm getting nauseous even thinking about it. <laughs> Immature believers can be blown all over the place as well. Tough times come, and they're thrown this way and then that way. There's no stability. Emotions all over the place. Perspectives all over the place. Because they're not anchored in Christ. 
just at the mercy of whatever hits them next, whatever wave hits them next. No real thought to where you're heading. When you're in a storm, you're not really thinking about where you're heading. You're like, whoa, it doesn't seem like we're going anywhere. We're just going around in circles. We're up and down. Paul has been speaking here about a sense of direction. He's been talking about going for something. But Christians who are being tossed about by the waves, they can't even get their heads around that because life is just too much. Life is just too much of, a, of, of, of throwing them around, too much turmoil. Our society is like that, society that doesn't have Christ, that the mercy of circumstances. COVID hits, woof, life is thrown completely out of whack. Tragedy strikes, woof, people have nothing firm to stand on. We can get blown about. Paul's saying, let's become mature. Let's grow in Christ. Then when the waves hit, when the wind blows, we're not going to be thrown about. We can keep our course. Paul says we can also be blown about by every wind of teaching, the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. So it's good to be firmly grounded in what we believe, because sadly there are people who would take advantage of vulnerable and gullible Christians and trade on people's teachability. When I was a student in the UK, in Sheffield, um, it just happened that there was, um, I'd just become a Christian, I'd just started following Jesus, and there was a huge movement that happened with students and young people in a church very close to us, an Anglican church. And uh, a young man called Chris Brain started his own service within that Anglican church. He asked the leaders, he said, can, you know, I feel I've got ministry to reach young people. He said, can I go for it? They said, yes, they gave him a lot of freedom, probably, well, definitely too much freedom. He started his own service at nine o'clock at night. That's when it started, nine o'clock at night. Became known as NOS, the nine o'clock service. It was dynamic, it used lots of lighting, images, music. It had the feel of a, of, of a nightclub. It gathered hundreds, thousands even sometimes, of people to it. Each Sunday night, nine o'clock. And then he started, the, the core of that, he started to gather and he said, let's go and live in community together. People from that uh, community bought up all of the houses in, uh, in, a, in a, a street over time. They lived together in one community. He said, it's, it's like the early church. We're living in community together. But there always seemed to be something a little off about it. And he, uh, th when I heard him, he would twist scriptures to make them mean what he wanted them to mean. And then they would get into things. And I would think, I, it just doesn't seem biblical. It doesn't seem right. I would question my friends. I had a number of friends who went along to it all the time. I would say, I, I'm not sure about this. And after a number of years, it, was, it became a national, it was in the national press that this guy was actually manipulating, he was controlling the people who were part of this community. He was abusing many of the women that were part of that community for his own gratification. He was getting people to be like servants to him. He was like, I'm the leader, so you've got to do all these things for me. He would literally have people as, as servants in the end, when it all came out, he ended up being imprisoned. But sadly, after the truth came out, many people, many people I knew who had been involved and passionate about it, they completely walked away from any faith in Jesus because they thought, you know, well, we, we went for this, we believe this. But it wasn't founded on the Bible. It wasn't based on truth. And 
there was a manipulative, controlling guy at the, at the center of it. There are deceitful people out there. It's so important to have our roots firmly in Jesus. Christ's church history is full of powerful leaders who've done terrible things and manipulated people. It really is. I mean, if I had a magnetic, charismatic personality, I don't think I do. If I had a magnetic, charismatic personality that, who could make people do whatever I wanted, I could seek to manipulate people who aren't mature. Perhaps, as I, you know, we've talked about as potentially moving to Halifax to plant a church there. So maybe I could say, oh, I, we, we need some people to come with us. So I could go around over time. I could pray for people. I could bring prophetic words telling them God wanted them to move there. I might play on people's emotions. I might say, you know what? If you, I really don't think you're committed to Jesus if you're not going to go. Jesus says to go. If you, if you don't go, you're not committed. You're not really a disciple. I could, I could manipulate things. I might even point out there's an Ikea in Halifax. <laughs> could do all sorts of things to get people on board. <laughs> I could. I could do that. People might be obedient. They might sell their houses. They might get a job there because they've got good hearts. But after a while, it might be evident that it wasn't going too well because if it's not on good foundations, it's not going to go well. So I might think, oh, I need to move on to the next thing. So then I say, okay, God's telling us all we've got to do this. And people might start to think, oh, I'm not so sure about this. I've had enough. They feel manipulated. Well, they would have been manipulated. It was exploitative leadership. We have to make sure that that kind of thing doesn't go on. Now, of course, we believe some will go. We do believe some. We believe some people here will go. But we need to grow in maturity together so we're not exploited. We're not manipulated by anyone in a position of authority. I need to be aware as a leader that these temptations are out there. They really are. So I need to make sure I'm in an accountable relationship with people. I'm rooted in Christ, so I'm not going to be manipulative. That's why team leadership in the church actually is so important, because we hold each other to account. It's not just one person being the leader who has all the say and, and, and pretty much sets the agenda. Leaders should be known by the people in the church, not hidden away. Many leaders, they'll be there on a Sunday morning. You'll not be able to get access to them the rest of the week. That's not what it should be like. Jesus was with his disciples. He was friends with them. Now, of course, Jesus was perfect, so they're not picking Jesus up on anything. But we're not. So as, we get to know, as I get to know people here, as I've got to know people in my life group, they're going to see my flaws and weaknesses, as well as hopefully something of Christ in me. But they're going to see both sides. They'll see what God needs to change. You'll, as you get to know us all, you'll see what God needs to change, how God needs to sharpen us. And you are very free, honestly, to come and speak to us about it. Paul says here in verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Christ. And that's not just for people in the congregation, that's for all of us. That includes those of us in leadership. So you can challenge us on things lovingly not with a critical spirit but lovingly with a heart to see us all grow together sometimes people say oh brother can i speak the truth in love to you and then they speak 
what they feel is the truth, and there's not much love evident. <laughs> now, it's never easy for any of us to hear correction, but the Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend, someone who loves. So, it's not about leaders being here to push our agenda, our party line. We want everything we teach, everything we do to line up with God's word. And if it doesn't, then we apologize and then we bring and we correct. So just on that, the other week when I was preaching, I mentioned, this was going back a couple, two times ago, I mentioned that Jesus never sinned. He didn't. He was sinless. But he became sin for us on the cross. That's what I meant to say. But in the moment, I actually misspoke. And I said, on the cross, Jesus became a sinner. And there's actually a subtle difference there. Jesus didn't become a sinner. He did take on all our sin. He was punished for all our sin so we could know God. And actually, after the meeting, oh, a little while after the meeting, Joe came. He helpfully pointed that out to me. And he said, uh, he said oh, I don't, I probably no one noticed. He said, uh, no one's mentioned it to me. He said, so I don't think there's any need to publicly correct it. But I felt there was because I publicly said it. So I think I need to publicly correct it. Anyway, the ministries Paul has spoken about need to make sure they're representing God accurately. Peter talks about it in 1 Peter 5. Not pursuing dishonest gain, he says. We're not pursuing, we're not out to make a profit for the gospel, from the gospel. Not lording it over those entrusted to us. He's talking about leaders. So if I start asking people to come and do my gardening for me for free, because I'm the pastor of the church, actually someone needs to pull me up on it, not pull my weeds up. Because Jesus never did that. Peter says we need to be willing to serve. We need to be examples to the flock. And Peter had been so impressed by Jesus, hadn't he? Jesus was the Lord. What did Jesus do? He washed Peter's feet. Peter said, you, should, you shouldn't be doing this. You're the Lord. Jesus said, no, I am the Lord. And this is what I must do. I must wash your feet. We have to represent our Savior accurately. So part of growing up and being mature is, together, speaking the truth in love to people and for us to be able to hear that truth spoken. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, he, tell, he tells people to imitate his life, which agrees with what he teaches. And you're thinking, wow, that's quite arrogant. He's telling people to, it's one thing saying imitate Christ. Paul's saying imitate my life. He says, actually, it lines up with what I teach. And that's, what it, and that's how it should be. He teaches it, and he lives it. It should be the same for all of us. We believe it, we live it. We receive it, we live it. We be who God says we are. So we need to be open people. We need to be transparent. Not to just go home after the meeting and close our doors and close our doors to other people here. Close off our lives. In Revelation chapter 21, John speaks of the city of God coming down from heaven. And interestingly, it says it's made of transparent material. Some of it, anyway, is made of transparent material. I wonder if there are houses in heaven, will they be transparent? Will they have transparent walls? Some of us are thinking, I really hope not. <laughs> but actually, because it can sound disturbing. But in heaven, there's no need to hide. There's no need to hide. There's complete openness. 
No deception, no manipulation, no IKEA Christianity. Everything can be examined. It's genuine. So we need to be willing to receive input from people who see things in our lives. Not to react defensively, because actually we know they're not commenting to be critical because it's done in love. They're commenting because they love us and we want to grow together. That's why the context for this maturity is the church. And it's not social media. And unfortunately, a lot of people seem to take social media as the place to do the commenting and the correcting. Social media isn't the place to correct people's mistakes. It's not the place to bombard them with what you see as the truth. It happens all too often. Just, it's just like lobbing weapons at them. Even this last week, I, w I was so disheartened because there was, there was, someone posted, a, I'll not go into the details of it, someone posted a blog post which others believed had some theological error in. They felt it was very unhelpful. Whether that's true or not, that, that's not what I'm looking at. The response online was really quick. It was really strong. I felt it was a bit like a mob. It was like, oh, take this article down. People should be resigning over this. That actually happened. But maybe the person who wrote the article, I don't know where their life's at now. I don't know what their reputation's like now. Truth might have been spoken about an error, but it wasn't truth spoken in love. It wasn't truth spoken in love because people who were being critical of him didn't have a relationship with him. It wasn't like Joe coming to me and saying, hey Mark, did you realize you said this? Oh no, I, I, I didn't realize I said that. I didn't mean to say that. Well, you know, it's fine. And that's the context. That's the context. It can happen online too often with Christians of all sorts of theological convictions. That's not the place to bring correction. The church is because we're united together and we love one another and we're brothers and sisters and we're not trying to score points off each other. The church is a group of people joined together, joined to Christ who is the head. So it's worth just pointing out that to be a member of the church, you have to be joined to Christ. You can't belong to the church and not belong to Christ. That's why church membership is really important. That's why you can't be a member of a church if you're not a Christian, if you're not a believer. Now, of course, we love others being here. Gary's already said it. If you're visiting us today, whoever you are, whatever your background, you're so welcome. You can come today and be free. You can come every week. You can, you're so welcome to be here. And we really want you to feel at home in that way. And some people will say, you know, in order to belong, in order to believe, you have to belong. For people to believe, you have to belong. Well, I can understand that argument. But biblically, only those who believe truly belong to the church of God. Because you can only join the church if you've been joined to Christ. So everyone who's a member of the church here has been baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So if you've got children who aren't yet believers, they're not a member of the church in the same way. Of course, we don't say, well, get out. You know, they're not, they're second class. It's not any of that. But unbelieving spouses are not members of the church. You have to belong 
to Christ to be a member of the church. Conversely, when people come to Christ, we need to be part of the church. You need to join the church. One of the sad things is that people get saved and, and come into a relationship with God, and they're on their own. It's like this limb on its own, this arm flopping about on its own somewhere. No, join to the church. Paul is saying if you belong to Jesus, belong to the church. Christ is the head. Christ is the head. He's in charge. Sometimes people use unhelpful language about inviting Jesus into your life. It kind of sounds as though you're still in charge. It's a bit like if you are uh, driving a car down the highway and you see someone uh, hitchhiking and they want a ride and, uh, and you let them in. And you say, oh, well, yeah, come on, I can take you where you're going. It's a bit like that. Oh, Jesus, Jesus is wanting to come in to my life. Okay, Jesus, come on in, sit down, and we, we, we'll, we'll go on our way. Actually, that's not what it's like. We open the door, Jesus says, okay, move over, I'll drive. And we think, what? <laughs> what do you mean you'll drive? <laughs> no, 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 I'm driving. He gets behind the wheel, he drives. And you're glad to let him do it because he knows the way and you were going the wrong way. And it's safe and it's his journey. And now you're going with him. So, as a church, we build ourselves up in love. Every part doing its work. Every part involved. Being a member means we're joined together. And the security there, when the wind blows, we're still together. Even in a hurricane, if you walk out into strong winds, there's not much danger of your arm being detached from you. You've got to stay together. And, you, and you're much more likely to stay together, to keep going in the storms if we're joined together as a church. Being part of the church brings security. We're held in Christ. We grow together. We work together. What the church does, I do. Where the church goes, I go. And we relate together in a meaningful way, not a superficial way. We don't just get together and talk about how the Habs are doing. We don't just say, oh, you know, how are you? Fine. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. You know, that's, that's fine. It's better than ignoring people. <laughs> but it's a bit guarded. But once we get to know each other, we can relate in a more involved way. Even over coffee and things like that, we can. Oh, how are you? Oh, do you know what? Actually, you know that problem I mentioned to you in life group last week? I'm actually still really struggling with it. Would you mind praying for me about that? this morning. That's how we start to relate together. Small groups, life groups, they are the best place to see that relationship built. It's where we get to know each other. It's where we pray together. We follow up with each other on Sundays or when we see each other next or, or, or by messaging each other or the next time we meet together. We love each other. It's real. You belong. It takes vulnerability. It does take vulnerability and that can take time. I've known some people at small groups who are very chatty about the social stuff and then they go quiet when it starts talking about God or how they're really doing. That's okay for a while as we get to know each other. But our aim is to be open and transparent and vulnerable and to receive from God because we join together. I'm not sure how much Paul knew about anatomy when he talked about ligaments and things like that, but when he talks about being joined, and supporting ligaments, he's stressing the things that join us together. 
the points at which our lives interact, where they join together in the same way that our bodies interact. And the ministries Paul's spoken about are some of those supporting ligaments. And so that's what Paul's concerned about. He's not only concerned about starting new churches, preaching the gospel, he's, he's concerned about relationships. He's concerned about people who have, favorite, who have favoritism among leadership. Some people saying, oh, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas, Peter. And some annoying super spiritual people who go, I follow Christ. Get off it. He breaks off a letter to the Philippians and, he's, and he urges two women in the church to get on with each other. You know, stop, stop disagreeing. Well, this is Paul, the mighty apostle. Why is he concerned about that? Because that's what the church is about. Our strength as a church is not in our leadership. It's not in our snappy vision statement. It's not in our publicity or social media. It's not in our inspiring worship. It's not in great preaching. What makes us a good church is if we get on with each other, if we like each other, if we want to be with each other. Unless our relationships are good, we're not building anything of substance. When the winds come, it all collapses. Jesus said to his disciples, I call you my friends. It was Jesus and a bunch of friends going round together. Joe mentioned that a little while ago, and our life group got hold of it. And they renamed, on our WhatsApp, we've got a WhatsApp uh, group, life group, um, group. And uh, it got renamed Passionate and Friends. <laughs> I love it. Because we're people who like being together. The early church got hold of it. They were in and out of each other's houses the whole time. Listen, everything hinges on it. It really does. It's countercultural. We've got to work at it. Jesus says, if you have an issue with a brother or sister in the church, go and sort it out before you come to worship. That's how important it is. Um, nothing's more important than worshiping God. Go and get your relationships right first. These are brothers and sisters. This is part of the body. Sadly, you can go and some people won't reconcile, but you do all you can do. Church is so much more than just a crowd of Christians. We get hold of it, don't we? Church isn't the building, it's the people. Okay, we've got it. It's not just a crowd, though. We're not just a crowd. It's easy to build a crowd. It's much harder to build a church. We're not interested in gathering a crowd. We're very committed to building church. So let's pray together, shall we? That we're going to be built together in Christ. This is who we are. This is how we become mature. This is how we grow to be mature, the mature body of Christ who is our head. Why don't we stand together? I'm going to invite Tim to come back up if he's there. Yeah. Well done, Tim. You led us so well this morning, by the way, in worship. All right. Let's just, let's just stand together. You know, we can set things up like this, and, and I, get, I get why everyone's face is the front. But, but together we are a body. Why not, just, why not just look around before I pray? Look at, you know, don't, don't make each other awkward. <laughs> stare in someone's eyes. We are the church. This is the body. This is who God's put us together with. 
We're to love each other. We're to get to know each other. You'll not get to know everyone, although it's good to talk to people and, and say hi and, and relate on some level with, with everyone who we don't know. Get to know each other in, a, in a, a small group setting, whether it's a life group, whether it's serving in a worship team and kids club team, whatever it might be that you serve in. Get to know each other. Welcome team. Spend time together. Father God, will you, will you make us into that? Lord, we want to grow in maturity. We don't want to be an immature church. Lord, we want, to, we want to take hold of all you've got. We thank you for the gifts that you give us. We thank you for the apostles and the prophets and, and the pastors, teachers, evangelists. We thank you for each other. We thank you that we can speak into each other's lives. And we do it lovingly. Lord, we thank you that you're wanting to grow us. Not grow us numerically, although maybe you want to do that, but you're more interested in growing us together in maturity. So I pray, Holy Spirit, help us. Fill us with your Spirit, Lord, again and again. Help us be the people you've called us to be. Lord, make us into that church that is united together in you, mature in you, that the world might see our love for each other. We pray all of this. In Jesus' name. Amen. I think we're going to sing, I am who you say I am. Is that correct? Or, yeah. just want to check. <laughs> um, we are who God says we are, corporately. So we can sing this, I am who you say I am, but that involves togetherness. Let's sing and worship God together.